and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And we're back, starting season two. This is season two. We did a full year of episodes, and then we took a week off, and now we're back. And we're going to kick this off by discussing an important topic. Knolls. What are knolls? Why do we think knolls are cool? Where do knolls come from? Let's find out. This is where if I had actually done any preparation for season two, I would have gotten us a proper soundboard and inserted uh, hyena yips into the the track there. Yeah, but we didn't but do I any didn't. prep. Instead, because I'm a professional. Well, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? And this podcast is free. That is true. So that's that. That's what's happening. Um, as always, I'm your host Troy. My pronouns are he him. And my name's Ed. I'm the other one. My pronouns are they and them. And before we really start going on to Knowles, we have a segment on this podcast called The Weekend Hobby, which technically is the last two weeks in hobby, although mine were... Yeah, it's really more like a week's worth of content for me. Uh, I'll go first. I've had a couple of D&D games. In one, the party delved into... Uh, well, they fought some guy, they retrieved a crystal, they returned said crystal to uh, Sharn, where they prepped to enter into it and discover what sort of shard of the ancient demon lord they're fighting is trapped within it. Uh, they did so, and it was the shard that had the magic, that, that basically was a thunder and lightning themed shard. Uh, Thunderbolts, they're gonna need a, lightning. They're going to need a ground theme shard to get around that one. It was very, very frightening. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that joke. Um, well, each of the shards that they have found has two types of elemental damage essentially associated with it. Um, and also there's some other meanings with it, but they haven't really figured those ones out yet. Uh, in this case, thunder and lightning damage was what it dealt out mostly. Um, all the monsters could use thunder wave. The big one could use lightning spells and had a legendary action that just created a wall of lightning. Um, Interesting. Hilariously, a lot of the party's spells were thunder and lightning damage related. <laughs> which did nothing. Um... Like, haha, I've got them lined up. I cast a lightning bolt. All right, you cast the lightning bolt. It flickers out between the monsters. They seem unharmed by this. I've turned your AC into DC and nothing happened. Yeah, they, they did eventually defeat the monsters. Um, the barbarian literally running through the wall of lightning in order to get close enough to stab the dude. Um, Ow. As somebody who's been... Uh, shocked by line voltage before. That sounds painful. Uh, when you're a raging barbarian and you only take half damage from lightning or from everything, it, it's not as bad. Depending on the project I'm working on, there may or may not be some rage involved, so... So, yeah. Yeah, you, you yeah. understand. Um, but yeah, they, they managed to defeat it, and the only one player nearly died... Uh, he went unconscious. But did you die? He did not have to make death saving throws because the rest of the party got him back up before that happened. Um, so that worked out well, I guess. Well ish. Um, and then they're prepping to go after the other shard that they have captured, which they, having figured out the pattern of these having elemental damage types trapped inside, you know, went ahead and studied it and determined that, oh, this one has fire and ice damage inside. It's going to be hot and cold. I think you need Jon Snow for that one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to have demons that are immune to fire damage and immune to ice damage. And it's also going to have some things that they don't really know about yet, but it's going to alternate on a turn-by-turn -turn basis between whether it's hot or cold. <laughs> um, and whether you take, like, a certain amount of fire damage just for being in it. Or a certain amount of That's cold kind of damage move, just for being funny. in it. Um, and it's, there's going to be a thing where it, like, flips back and forth between 
instead of like one boss dude and a bunch of minions, it's going to have two boss dudes and only one of them is going to be like attackable each round. They're going to like flip in and out of existence. Um, I, I've got a whole thing set up for it. It'll be fun. You definitely put a lot more work into being a DM than I do. That's for sure. I like these sorts of... Okay, I like these sorts of like weird, cool mini-boss fights, and I think the players do too, especially in this game, because uh, they've built very strong mechanical characters. And so giving them a challenge, and especially a challenge that they can prep for a little, because they know that it's going to be fire and ice damage now, um, makes the battle itself much more rewarding. And lets them like use their spells and use their abilities to their fullest extent. Partay. Uh, in my other campaign, they fought a cool battle with their airship against a pirate, against a necromancer airship, and some of his stuff, and uh, managed to defeat the necromancers and the skeletons on board. Although one of the party members tried to like escape via flying away and then trying to fall and got chased down and knocked unconscious by the eldritch knight who was you know leading this group um Whoopsie so baby. there's going to be a whole bit of um bit of a thing where they uh, where the eldritch knight drags the unconscious player back to the ship only to find that it's been ca captured by the rest of the party um so yeah, that'll that's gonna play out this next session, and then we'll see where they go from there. Whether they can fight this guy who is pretty unharmed right now, or if they can negotiate something, or yeah, we will see. No compromise, no mercy. No mercy, no mercy for Eldritch Knights serving evil liches. Nope. Okay, fair enough. Um. Also did some board games, uh, hung out with some people. We played, what did we play? Oh, Steampunk Rally, one of my favorites. That's a good one. Um, always fun to play that. I came in second and did so by causing my thing to take a bunch of damage and like collapse and shoot me forward at the very last second. <laughs> Uh, that's... Hey, you crossed the finish line. It still counts. Oh, yeah. No, I had already crossed the finish line. I was just trying to catch up with the guy who was in first place. So how about you, Ed? Oh, boy. Uh, I haven't really done a whole lot. been pretty busy doing lots of still work travel. Uh, we played a little bit of D&D. Not a whole lot happened. Uh, just some strange random encounters with mysterious npcs uh because my games tend to run kind of short just because my game time overall is limited yeah um and other hobby stuff really haven't done much with miniatures or board games for whatever reason november and december feels like video game season so i've been doing a little bit more video game stuff than i normally do uh yeah you got your 3d printer it's... working again oh yeah i forgot about that that was that was a little while ago i've uh successfully replaced the screen on my 3d printer it appears to be working uh i've just been lazy about actually getting it calibrated because i just want to get to making the miniatures but I know that if I go through the process of actually trying to calibrate it and find out what settings work best, it's going to lead to better stuff overall. But I'm just like, no, I, I need the miniatures now so they can clog up my desk. Yeah, that's what they're for, right? Yep. I got, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that dropped into my, uh, my mini factory library during the couple of months that it was out of service. So there's a lot of stuff I haven't looked at. I got, a. Uh, large demon uh monarch i guess you could say probably to use for uh uh rain and hell once i ever get around to that yeah that'll be fun if we ever get around to actually putting that together yeah i'm i'm always going back and forth between trying to print 
interesting looking custom stuff or just getting a uh, getting started set for Warhammer Demons because it's in terms of like pure value for what you're buying from Games Workshop, the Demons box is probably the best because you can use it in Warcry, you can use it in Kill Team, you can use it in Age of Sigmar, and you can use it an- in Warhammer 40k with no changes to anything. They all they're all they all cross pollinate between all the games. Yeah, that is nice. Um... So I wanna I wanna do something Slanesh related because I like their kind of change to more Cenobite-y looking uh, themed stuff. But I've just got so much hobby stuff that is still unfinished that I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think. I mean, I gotta I gotta get something finished for Blood Bowl so that in some future time I can play Blood Bowl in person. There's a lot to do. I just haven't been doing a lot lately. Everything is busy. We're also doing a bunch of house repairs. we got a bunch of stuff that we're trying to get fixed up and refurbished before Thanksgiving, and that's taking up a lot of time. Fair enough. But, but the Week in Hobby done, let's talk about Knowles. So Knowles, yep. as much as they are a D&D monster and are somewhat familiar to people who play role-playing games and some computer games as well, uh, we'll briefly drop that, um, they are not as much of a classic fantasy monster as a lot of other things. They aren't part of any long-standing mythology or even hundreds of years of folklore. The first mention of Knowles is from the Book of Wonder, published in 1912 and written by Lord Dunsany an Anglo-Irish early fantasy author. Um, sometimes, you know, he's considered to be like a proto-Tolkien. He wrote some stuff about it that had his own, like, whole mythologies and stuff. Uh, none of it was ever as massively popular as Lord of the Rings because he wrote in kind of a weird late 18th, early 20th century, or late 19th, early 20th century style that was more Victorian. Uh, his, his stuff not as not as pulpy as further fantasy authors would be um do you have to wear like a fedora and a scarf and drink pbr to read it because people have never heard of it i mean i think you have to wear like a top hat and a monocle to read it Hmm. Um, because it's it's i like that idea better it's much older the, the way it reads is much older um Gonna read some early fiction, maybe do a little bit of imperialism later, have some tea. Have some tea. As one does. Have a little bit of opium with it. (laughs) Um, He's that kind of fantasy author. Um, In the Book of Wonder, there's a number of short stories, and one of them is How Nuth Would Have Practiced His Art Upon the Knolls. Worth noting that knolls in this are spelled G-N-O-L-E-S. Um... And in this story, we learn about a thief and his apprentice, and they attempt to burgle a group of fae known as gnolls. There is no real description of the gnolls in this, um, just that they have a uh, lair in the woods off of some town, and that they theoretically have large emeralds, and that that's what they're, these guys are coming to steal. Um, oh, I would and, also say just in general, burgling the Fae is always a bad idea. Oh, it, in this it entirely is because the apprentice gets fucking murdered. Um, <laughs> and the leader is like, wow, that's a neat trick. I, I didn't know about the way they murdered that dude. And he bails. Um, that's what happens when you try and burgle the Fae. Yeah, that, that's what happens when you it. try to burgle the Fae. Um, there's no real description of the gnolls, and the name comes either from one of two places. A combination of the words gnome and troll. I like that one. Um, just like, I, I need a fantasy thing, and it needs to be something new, so I'm just going to slam these words together, because that spelling matches, right? Or as a reference to a local Welsh spelling of knoll with a K. Um, you know, like the grassy knoll. <laughs> Um, which is used for a park in Neath, South Wales. Um, if you ever, if, if you Google Knoll Country and it comes up with a park in Wales, now you know why. I feel like we need, 
we need to rename our podcast Knowles with a K. No. No, we just need to have a live show at this at the Welsh Knoll Country Park. Hear that, Wales? Uh, sponsor our vacation. Yeah, we're coming for you, Wales. Um, at least until uh, Greenpeace shows up with a sea shepherd. Not those kind of whales. <laughs> well, okay, they can give us a ride then. Because, you know, we have to cross the ocean. Also true. And we're going the long way. Round the horn! Oh, God. We're really going to need top hats and opium for that one. Yeah, we're not taking the canal, the newfangled canal. Uh, Knolls, as we would recognize them today, came from Dungeons & Dragons. They were introduced to the game in 1973, although at the time it seems like they were pulled directly from this uh, previous the, the story because there was no real description of them and not no details about their culture. Uh, they were spelled the way we spell them now, with the double L and no E, and it mentioned that they were a combination of gnomes and trolls. Um, and that they spoke Knoll as a language. That it was a specific language. It wasn't until the 1977 AD&D Monster Manual that Knolls became the hyena people that we would recognize, the modern Knoll. This is also where D&D introduced Yinogrur. The demonic, the demon prince of Knolls, who is worshipped by the race and lends them his chosen weapon, a flail, which, you know, is kind of a core component of the Knoll aesthetic. Uh, the lore and the exact nature of Knolls has changed throughout Dungeons & Dragons editions. Uh, we're really just going to talk about where they are currently, because while it's varied, it all kind of goes towards the same place. Um, and once we talk about their D&D lore, we'll talk about their non-D&D lore, because... The D&D lore is kind of rough. So, 5th edition D&D... Rough as in, like, problematic rough, or rough as in, like, it needs a proofreader? Um, problematic rough, but also... Well, let's just get into it. In 5th edition D&D, gnolls are included in the monster manual, and then are substantially fleshed out in Volo's Guide to Monsters. Which, I have to say, is one of the best splat books for 5e if you are a dungeon master. If you're... Huzzah! Huh? Huzzah! Yeah, if you're a player, skip it. It doesn't matter. Go get uh, Xanathar's or Tasha's, because that's where new player options are included. But if you're a dungeon master and you want a deep dive on some of the really common monsters and, like, to learn how you should run them and how to make them more interesting... Volos is great. Uh, Knolls in this are described as being the literal spawn of the Lord of Savagery, Yinagrur. Knolls were created after one of his rampages across the Material Plane. Uh, they are creatures of savage bloodlust who slaughter indiscriminately, pausing only to devour what they have killed. Their nomadic warbands wander around, slaughtering everything in their way. Uh, they don't loot stuff very much because they don't find value in things like gold or gems although they might take armor or weapons that could be useful they are driven by constant unending demonic hunger uh they As do various are. things to promote the will of the lord of savagery and in exchange he grants them more demonic powers more food they are yeah, in, in this, gnolls have no culture. Gnolls have no... They barely even have a sense of reason. And their society is basically just go around and kill stuff and devour whatever you can find. Um, they are more akin to just demons that happen to be living on the material plane than they are to, you know, an actual race. Um, so like I said, it's rough... I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily problematic because while they it just, are, it's kind of more boring than anything. Because I remember when I read through like the changes to the Knolls for Fifth Edition, I was like, "That's a lot less interesting." Yeah, see, th that's what I would say. It's not problematic. It's just kind of boring. They are unquestionably evil and cannot be redeemed. Uh, effectively, cannot be redeemed. And Boo, so you, give your antagonists an arc. And so you can just keep, murder them as much as you want. It's fine. 
They also, I mean, because of this, they're not good, like major villains, because they don't plan much. I mean, I mean, even goblins have like a culture and society and characteristics now. Oh yeah, no, the goblin hobgoblin thing. There's a whole bunch of interesting stuff going on with that. Knowles don't really get that in Bog Standard Fifth Edition. Uh, I will note that not all settings do use this quite as much. Um, Eberron, not all settings. Eberron, our perennial favorite, takes a slightly different approach because the demon lords of the abyss are kind of locked out of Eberron due to uh, ancient shenanigans. Um, <laughs> it Eberron is harder to reach from the outer planes than most settings are. So, Damn it, they changed the locks. Yeah, there there's a protection on around Eberron that makes it harder to get to from other planes, and so most of the demon lords and stuff in it are local ones rather than the big boys, which means gnolls have a much weaker connection to their, you know, insatiable hunger, and there is a group of gnolls in Eberron called the Zanir Pact that have essentially sworn off the demonic savagery thing and have managed to build themselves a society. They still operate mostly as mercenaries. Um, and they live in a kingdom that is monsters only, basically. But their job as mercenaries is quite good, and their primary thing, they have a oath of, like, they don't kill other gnolls. Um, they will fight each other, but they will not kill another knoll. Uh, they have, you know, codes of honor and stuff. Uh, they It provides a much more interesting, you know, approach to that. And a lot of them have chosen sort of an active opposition to the demonic powers that, you know, they feel warped and destroyed their race. So if you want to play a more good-aligned knoll, try Eberron. Eberron only supports locally sourced evil. Yes, all, all evil in Eberron is local. Or, I mean, at least from the local Eberron-specific planes. The <laughs> Zoyad, the plane of... Yeah. Unless, unless it comes from the Nine Hells, it's it's only uh, sparkling bad intentions. <sighs> <laughs> but, d d isn't the only game. There are other games out there, and they use gnolls because, you know, D&D doesn't have a copyright on the term gnolls. Pathfinder, which is D&D adjacent, let's go with, has gnolls of their own. I mean, it is... We'll have to talk about Pathfinder at some point. We'll, We'll do a deep dive into Pathfinder in a different episode. But calling it D&D adjacent is probably the best description of it for a, like, single sentence. Yeah, probably. Pathfinder gnolls are visually similar to the ones in Dungeons & Dragons. They are hyena people. Uh, They are not tied so much to a demonic existence, um, though they do worship Lamasutu, the mother of mothers and a, like, demonic evil god. Uh, they typically live in war bands of around 200 members, although it can get larger if there's a particularly charismatic and strong uh, knoll who's running things. Um, they're charismatic just... knoll sounds like a uh, certain political party I know. <laughs> yeah, they are just nomadic war band monsters. They don't have they have a sort of internal society. They've got laws and organizations and shamans and clerics regarding the um, evil deity that they worship, but they don't have a whole lot of culture beyond that. And they're, you know, they just sort of wander around. Um, Some of them consider a specific area their homeland and only vaguely tolerate the people who build cities there. Uh, Others, you know, are out raiding and trying to show how strong they are because their whole society is based on strength in Pathfinder. Um, but of course they're not wholly evil like they are in D&D, so there's some nuance there. Um, they have a little more going on with their culture. 
Got it, Nolan on. Aha, Christopher Nolan is is a Noel who is making films in Eberron. It's just puns all the way down. Oh, oh, so many puns. I mean, we named our podcast that because it was a good pun. This is true. Um, and then we come to war game Knolls. Woo! Because Knolls are in Rangers of Shadowdeep and Frostgrave. That they are. Uh, in Rangers of Shadowdeep, Knolls are one of the basic foot soldiers of the evil forces of darkness. They're used as a generic option, just sort of a setting-specific replacement for goblins, orcs, kobolds, evil humans, whatever. Uh, and because they are a generic option, their lore is light, which is expected for a single-player game that's designed that anyone who's playing it can adjust to use the models they have on hand. Um, you just call them gnolls. Uh, they are described in the game as a cross between humans and either rats, dogs, or hyenas. So I guess you could use Skaven miniatures if you felt like it. Huh. Um, and Never their lore basically is that before. they were created as an experiment by a wizard in a magical city somewhere in some distant land. Which, again, makes sense because Frostgrave introduced them as <laughs> uh, a warband of monsters created by a wizard in the city of Feldset. Except this time... Uh, they come from the sewers, like rats. Yes. And again, you probably could just use Skaven miniatures to represent them in that case. Uh, on a somewhat related note to 3D printing, uh, one of the one of the things that I found on my mini, my mini factory, uh, one of the Patreons that I subscribed to, they did uh, space gnolls. So there will also be gnolls for Stargrave, at least in my universe. Yeah. Um, and we've got one more, like, official setting that uses gnolls, and then we're going to talk about what you can do with gnolls, what sort of interesting homebrew ideas you can do with gnolls, because I have a few. Um, and the last one is not technically a role-playing game or a war game, although I'm sure people have set stuff in there. It's World of Warcraft. <laughs> Woo! World of Warcraft has gnolls. They're basically just tribal nomadic monsters that have occasionally attacked human settlements. Um, they're not yeah, part I remember, of uh, either when I f the human side or the orc side. They're just, you know, around in certain areas. I remember when I first started playing WoW, I beat some kind of null mini-boss, and I felt incredibly pleased with myself because I had just graduated and was unemployed and had nothing else going on. Yeah, so gnolls exist in World of Warcraft. They're not part of any faction. They're just kind of around. And they look and act very much like the Pathfinder gnolls and very much like older edition gnolls where it's just tribal nomadic warbands that occasionally raid places and, generally speaking, aren't particularly bright, although some of their leaders might be described as cunning. Um, just, just a little bit of raiding. Yeah, that, that's kind that's of the traditional Knoll work is nomadic tribal warbands. They're not smart, but they might be cunning. Uh, Do we include Flind in our definition of Knolls? Flind are a type of Knoll. Um, Flind are in 5e, are in Dungeons and Dragons. Flind are Knolls that have been touched by the demonic power directly. Ah. Uh, um, I just thought it just meant a smart Knoll. No, eh. Flind are typically gnolls that have... It's not that just that they're smart, they're stronger, they're better, faster, harder, etc. And usually <laughs> that's because they have some sort of gift from whatever deity or demonic power or whatever. It, it, they're just... They're super gnolls. Super gnoll! And there are various other types of gnoll that um, have been introduced as monsters. They're just varietal gnolls. Garden variety gnolls. I mean, it would be like talking about the difference between a goblin and a goblin shaman. They're the same creature. One of them just learned how to use magic. Fair enough. Right? Um, in this case, the magic, like, warps the gnoll and makes them crazy. But that's uh, what you get for using demonic magic. 
play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Play null games, win null prizes, yes. Um, and, and so that's Knowles in official settings and official media. So let's talk about other ideas for Knowles, what you can do with Knowles in different settings and different worlds and, you know, what sort of homebrew stuff you might come up with for Knowles. Ed, you mentioned sci-fi Knowles. Yep. Definitely uh, going to do some sci-fi. They're in the STL files. They call them hyena people and they, they do look a bit more, uh, I guess, like kind of like an anthropomorphic hyena than you would say a knoll. But I feel like the kind of slimmed down humanoid appearance, it gives it more of a science fiction-y feel than just having like a really beefy knoll with a gun. These guys, they look kind of like knoll astronauts. Okay. Uh, what sort of lore would you invent for them? I don't know. I feel like it would have to be something weird, like somehow they managed to cobble together some kind of working spaceship, kind of like orc style, maybe. Um, See, my thought for sci-fi Knowles is that they were like early industrial level and then they got picked up by whatever aliens to be used as mercenary troops. Yeah, that's that's kind of the other the other uh, secondary option that I'd considered. Yeah. Although, I mean... It... I, I haven't thought through uh, <laughs> my war game stuff too much. Usually, uh, when I do put together something for a war game, it's some form of joke or uh, pun-related thing. Yeah, it could also be interesting if um, you you have gnolls in a sci-fi setting where the gnoll... Especially if it's more of a science fantasy setting... Um, where the gnolls have developed some of their own form of space travel, where they can sort of teleport between planets somehow uh, via a gate system or something that only works for them, uh, making them useful mercenaries, traders, etc., but not helpful for, like, actually transporting other people. Because, think you know, it kills them or drives them insane or whatever when the ship is used. I also think for Stargrave specifically, um, because the the very light background lore, which I mean, the other uh, McCulloughverse games are kind of light-ish on lore. Uh, Stargrave is even lighter, but the general gist is that basically Space World War One happens, and the game picks up in the immediate aftermath of that war, and you could say that the Knolls are like an independent race or colonial power who are now starting to expand out and take over the remains of old empires or newly asserting their independence kind of Eastern European style ooh. during the 1920s. Ooh, ooh. Or you could go even a little bit weird with it and make them space Japan. Space Japan. <laughs> yeah. Where, where <laughs> they were a colonial empire during the war, but they didn't, like, they came out of it relatively unscathed, but didn't get what they wanted. So now they're going whole, whole, like, gonna colonize everything, gonna, you know, conquer stuff, because they feel like they should have gotten that at the end of the war, but didn't. Then you could throw in some had... honor code stuff and just go, <laughs> Noel Space Japan. That sounds like fun, actually. I had, I had some kind of pun lined up, or some kind of joke, and now I've, I've forgotten it. Yeah. Alas. I mean, I, I, I kind of want to run with that. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe it's just me biased being uh, of the opinion that World War One was the best, the best world war and finding that particular kind of interwar period type setting interesting Yeah, for a war game. Yeah, it is an interesting setup. Um, my understanding was that the war was more of a like ended with more of a general collapse of galactic civilization. And so now you've got pirates and warbands and warlords roaming around between various planets and there's less, less powers that remain. Um, it's like, it's like uh, world war one, but if just everybody collapsed, <laughs> nobody wins even less than anybody won world war one in the first place. America won. 
America, because <laughs> we swooped in right at the very end. Oh yeah, we swooped in at the end and stole the credit. That, that's how America do. Um, yeah, it's like that meme of World War Two with the uh, the T Rex is the United States, and then all the Velociraptors is the Soviet Union. Yeah, USA, arsenal of democracy, baby. Woo! Um, so that uh, that that's Stargrave Knowles. Um, I've got an interesting concept for, you know, if you were doing like a steampunk fantasy setting um, with, that has a continent-spanning collapsed empire where you've got gnolls acting as scavengers. They've got like scrappy home-built uh, airships that cr- crisscross this wasteland of a collapsed magical or steampunky empire. And, like, collect scrap and potentially interesting items and bring them to the edges of where this thing was, where other civilizations have, are starting to investigate it. Um, which I think would be interesting. Uh, essentially, Mad Maxi Knowles. Yes, Mad Max Knowles. Bring in the Gaslands Knowles. Yeah, I mean, Knowles worked pretty well for a post-apocalyptic setting, essentially. I think they're cool for that. Um, Knowles in a, like, modern setting are a little... I don't know. They don't really fit a modern setting quite the way you might want. I think... Don't they have Knowles for, like, D20 modern and stuff like that? I don't know. Let me... It's been a while since I've read through D20 modern. Or like uh, D20 Apocalypse was the other one. I'm not seeing anything that looks official hmm. for D20 Modern. That's unfortunate. I'm seeing like fantasy the stuff that looks um, fan made essentially. Unless I'm thinking of uh, Shadowrun, maybe. I don't know that Shadowrun had gnolls. Um, Feels like it should. Yeah, I don't think they were an official Shadowrun thing. It looks like some people have used them as, like, hyena shapeshifters. Because there were shapeshifters involved in Shadowrun. Um, but uh, they did not have gnolls as a specific group. No gnolls. No gnolls. Um, but yeah, cyberpunk gnolls. Um, honestly, I could see them as like a if you were doing you know bioengineering stuff with your cyberpunk. Cyberpunk gnolls would be interesting. It'd be almost like do like real life furry culture yeah that might get kind of dicey if you were doing a cyberpunk setting that was real heavy into like biotech and genetic engineering um then Knowles being a like essentially a slave race created by some corporate state to act as their security force could be an interesting theme uh it would be one that would again Clearly, the people creating them are the evil ones. Um, and it is, it, that would be something to do if you really want to dig into certain rough topics. Um, otherwise, it's hard to do fantasy creatures without a fantasy setting. Uh, Knowles in fantasy... I almost want to see a version of Knowles where they are... You know, based off of some of those, like, African empires. Um, that could be interesting. Because I know there's, like, uh, African folklore for, like, hyena shapeshifters and stuff like that. Yeah. Or just more African mythology added into what we consider the fantasy genre in general would be nice. Um, personally, I think you should base them off of, like, the Malian Empire. 
have a have a Noel King who is essentially incredibly rich Noel. Yes, the Mansa Musa <laughs> version of Noel's, where they the are Knowles just come to town and crash your economy. Exactly. Yeah, where the Noel's are incredibly rich and incredibly like just uh, they're interested in trading and like learning shit, and they've got their own empire with massive amounts of gold and salt and other stuff. I think that I would like be that, an yeah. interesting twist on them because that swaps them entirely from being like nomadic and tribal to being civilized and interesting and important and like highly cultured and also ludicrously wealthy which would just be a nice twist for some for a creature that normally doesn't bother to collect loot yeah i want to i want to see uh molly and Knowles now yeah to, that that's just a thought is molly and Knowles? why not um so yeah, that's something to think about if you're doing a fantasy game. So use that information. Um, yeah, so Knowles. Why do we like Knowles? Why are Knowles interesting? Uh, just just gonna leave I it as know. dead air. Yeah, dead air. Um, I think Knowles are interesting because they because they offer a lot of freedom with the lore, uh, like we've been talking about. Their lore is pretty much... It, it's pretty kind of rough. It's just, like, demon... Demon-related. But unlike orcs and goblins, th that isn't well-known. With orcs and goblins, you have the, oh, they're evil because they're related to this or related to that. People see a goblin in media and they're like, oh, that's an evil monster. Hyena people... Not guaranteed, and if you present them differently, they could not. They don't have to be evil monsters. We've just talked a few ways how, of doing that. So I think gnolls have more flexibility than a lot of the traditional D and D foes. Um, I think the same is true of kobolds. And when we do an episode about kobolds and talk about like the weird modern change in kobolds and how they're they're viewed, um, that will be a thing. Yeah, I was gonna say they've kind of they've gone they've gone kind of through the same rehabilitation as like goblins, where they're no longer evil just for the sake of being evil. Yes, and honestly, I feel like it started slight. Well, we'll discuss that when we do an episode about goblins and an episode about kobolds. Kobolds are one of my favorites as well, so yeah, we'll we'll get into what's going on with the little dragon guys. Just don't be a dick and make races evil by default. Yeah, that I would say is pretty straightforward. Um, the 5e gnolls being literal demon spawn is about the only way they they can make them evil by default. And even then, it's kind of awkward. Um, because it's hard to have them... Yeah, you, you run into questions of don't they get free will if they're born on the material plane? No? Uh. Ooh. Um. So, yeah. I've, of course, once you start getting into questions of evil and morality and is it okay to murder these people, you're not playing D&D &D anymore. You're getting a philosophy degree. And, um, yeah. So, so maybe, maybe determine whether you're okay with fighting things that are just going to be evil and you have to kill them before you sit down at the table to play D&D. &D. Or not, if you want that sort of discussion at your D&D &D table. That's just up to you. Re just reclassify all uh, all player characters as murder hobos. I think you you get some kind of tax break on that, because they're, they're not technically adventurers. Yeah, what... You can murder... fire them with no consequences. Are murder hobos like a subcategory of adventurers? Uh, a lot of DMs out there might agree. I mean, because you have, like, two categories of adventurers, ones that, like, have land and settle down, and others that are murder hobos. Um, and then I guess a third category of people who have land and settle down and continue to murder everything that have, like, murder mansions. Well, if you have, if you have land, you settle down and continue to murder, doesn't that just make you an aristocrat? Yeah. Essentially, yes. <laughs> and quit inserting politics into my game. 
Never. <laughs> and, Politics and games. That that'll be the spiciest episode. Uh uh we'll, okay, that'll be the end of season two because we'll that'll be right on election day. Oh my god, no. Next year. No. Next year is election day, which won't be important because it's not a midterm or a major one. It's a quarter term. It's a it's a normal year when it's just like local shit. Um in any case, hey, Democrats have control of the Senate. Woo! And if we get, and uh, potentially even getting up to 51 in the Senate, which is would be really nice, because that means that Manchin's less important, because... Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to issue actual threats against named individuals. Um, hey, that's not an actionable threat. Yeah. It's just an insult. It's just an insult. Um, in any case, that's been our discussion of Knowles, and also politics... And yep. we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner. And today we're getting old school and we're talking about Feudal. Originally published in 1970, in 1967. Feudal is um, chess that is trying to go from being a board game to a war game, but hasn't like locked down the war game stuff yet. It's what happens when Avalon Hill thinks chess is too boring. Yes. Pretty much just yes. Uh, it is played on a 16 by 16 map board. And is it a one or like four 16 by 16? It, it's played on a much larger board. The board has pre-printed terrain that has certain rules. There are like mountains that you can't pass through and difficult terrain that only certain units can pass through. Cavalry can't, but infantry can um it has cavalry and infantry in variety of types each of which has different types of moves that they can make um each player has a king and a castle uh you can win by killing the enemy king or by capturing the inner part of their castle um because there's like an outer part and an inner part so where you place the castle can matter because you're trying to defend the like choke point to get inside um what models you put in the castle you know matters because you want your archer and your king there to kind of defend it um it's complicated but not overly so there's it, it's mostly just a matter of moving your guys around um it has a cool hidden deployment element where you place us kind of like battleship you, there's a divider that you place across the map and then each person places all their pieces and then reveals the map and you determine who goes first um so there's sort of an element of trying to place your guys in an in a way that they won't get immediately picked off if you happen to go second that can be important um and i believe the way it works is each player moves all of their pieces and then the other player gets to go. So there's... Yeah. It's got some cool stuff. You can play it with up to, I think, six players. Because it has six different armies. Um, yeah. I, I would say that is too many players. I like to do two-player games where each person controlled two armies. Um, so you got, like, twice as many units on the field. And it allowed you to have a lot more like flanking attacks and different maneuvers with that um but yeah it was it's an interesting game if you can find it at like a garage sale i highly recommend buying it because well it's just an interesting weird little chess but then some kind of thing and it's made with weird 1960s plastic pieces in like specific colors for each side um with some fantastic box art. Um, yeah. Feudal. It's weird. It's fun. If yeah, you can it find like it, pick it up. Still find it on eBay. Yeah, it's, it's available on eBay or garage sales, essentially. That's the only place you're going to find it. Surprisingly inexpensive. I think they made a lot of copies, and there hasn't been anything to, like 
bring it back where people are like, oh my god, this game was so cool. Yeah, the average price is between like $15 and $30. Uh, we should see if it's available on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, it probably is. Insert the uh, clickety, clickety Monty clack. Python holding music. Uh, yes, looks like it is. Huzzah. Uh, ooh, and with really nicely done pieces, too. That's, uh, subscribe. <laughs> I will be getting that, yes. Um, that, that's, uh, that looks incredibly well done. Good job, whoever made this. I'm always surprised at, like, the really obscure stuff you can find on Tabletop Simulator. For all its faults, Tabletop Simulator is an amazing thing. No, this is a uh, pretty quality work. It looks like. Um, that's that's cool. I will have to add that to my tabletop simulator, and we'll have to play that at some point. Yeah, boy. And that's our episode. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Knoll Country. You can find us on Instagram at Knoll Country. Um, you can donate to things. You can join a union. You can vote, except it's too late for that. You should have voted already. Why? Why didn't you <laughs> vote? This is all your fault. Um, if you're not in the U.S., then you can vote for stuff that, you know, just isn't a U.S. politician. Um, you can punch Nazis or other Always fascists good. of that nature. Uh, and you can do all the things Ed is about to tell you to do. Uh, since uh, Twitter is currently making death-saving throws, you can find me on Instagram at Animadness. Uh, it's still pretty quiet over there, but uh, you never know when I'll hit some kind of painting hot streak. Uh, donate to your local charities, Armenian and Ukrainian Red Crosses. Uh, if you are on Twitter, check out the Tenacious Unicorn Ranch and their uh, mutual aid project with uh, Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. They're collecting cold weather gear uh, to send to the uh, Sioux Nation because it gets cold as hell in South Dakota. Uh, and go Knowles. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. And.